I've had my own little level, leveling up experience lately. So for the last two years, I've been working on what the Christian Missionary Alliance calls their ordination process. Think of it like professional development for pastors. It's a bunch of books to read, a bunch of theological papers to write. We have to meet with our cohort and present our papers and watch training videos and read the Bible twice. It's so like all of this over the last couple of years. And, and I finished all of that. And then I moved into the last phase, which was an exam and an oral interview. So last week I took the exam. And just to give you a little sense this was my stack of flashcards. It was over 100 questions of, in the study sheet that they gave. And I, and I went into this thinking, okay, 100 questions, they'll, they'll pick a couple dozen of them, and then, then we'll answer them. No. They picked 77 questions. This, took te this test took me four and a half hours of writing about theology. I was so brain dead by the end of it. Um, but I'm happy to say I passed. Yes. I, I heard that on Friday from our district superintendent. He emailed me. I passed. And I must have done okay because what they say is, see, the next step of this is the oral interview. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> oral. Where the, where, now, now I can't just think and write. I have to talk theology for hours on end. But what they say is the better you do on the exam, the easier the interview is. And he only gave me, out of those 100 topics, he only gave me five of them to review for the interview. So I'm like, all right, okay, th this might be pretty manageable. Um, but so I've got that Monday, and hopefully everything goes well. The, the, the district superintendent was very positive, so I'm, I'm, I'm certainly hoping it will go well. And if that goes well, then I will have completed the ordination process. Now you want, so what does that mean? Well, a couple things. The, the, the most obvious kind of practical thing is that my title will officially change from pastor to reverend. I will become a reverend. So, so if you really want to, you can call me Reverend Greg, but that just sounds weird. So Pastor Greg is still fine or still even just Greg. Um, but, but yeah, so, so and then the other thing that's going to happen, again, everything goes fine on Monday, then we're going to have a big ordination celebration in July where the district superintendent's going to come. He's going to talk about this. Um, we're going to have a big, a, a big party, potluck afterwards, and all of that. So um, I'll let you know. If you follow us on Facebook, I'll, I'll post something up, and hopefully everything will go well, and it won't be too grueling of an interview. So, but yeah, so even I, I'm, I'm literally like leveling up in my title of leading this church and, and within the alliance. So all of this leveling up really got me thinking about today's sermon. What would leveling up in our faith look like? Think about it. We can level up in our school. We can level up at church. We can level up in our jobs. But what would leveling up with our faith look like? And that's what I've been sitting with for the last couple weeks. And, and so, see, last week I talked about, we're in this series called Fourfold Gospel, um, the, the Spiritual DNA of the Alliance. And last week I talked about Jesus as our sanctifier. It's up online now if you missed last week or you want to catch up. It's up online. Go to our website. Go to Facebook. Uh, it's right up there. But it's this idea that we should be constantly growing in our faith. In God's economy, there's no stagnant Christian. 
There's no steady Christian. It's no, it's, there is no like work, 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 get up to a point and plateau and just cruise. That's not what God wants for any of us. God wants us to continuously, progressively grow, to become, be shaped into the image of Christ. So that's what we talked about last week in this idea of Jesus as our sanctifier. So I, I was thinking about that, and think about that. What that means is our life, our spiritual life, should be a consistent flow of leveling up. Just kind of year after year, level up. And one of the things before and I have talked about having going to church for a lot of years and serving for a lot of years, I think one of the most tragic things that we see is folks who have been to church for years, decades, and they're still the same person. Think about that. Imagine going to church for years, decades, and you're still the same person. Like, that's, that's a classic tragedy right there because you're missing out on so much of what God wants for you. So much, of what, so much of the goodness and greatness he has in store for you, in store for all of us. But I think that's kind of what happens a lot of times. Especially we get into adulthood, we get into the groove, we get into the, the wake-up, work, kids, slash family routine. And all of a sudden, it could be two years later, three years later, five years later, ten years later, and you're still having the same fights with your spouse, with your parents, you're still struggling with the same sins. You still behave in the same ways. God doesn't want that for you. God wants all of us to be leveling up in our faith. So as I thought about that today, I started reading through Scripture and exploring different stories about folks who leveled up. And I ran across one that I really liked. And so I want to read you this story, and it's about one of Jesus' encounters. Okay? And this person that Jesus encountered, within minutes, radically la- leveled up their life and their faith. We don't really know what happened to, to him afterwards, but within these minutes, this encounter with Jesus, he makes a series of choices that level up, one after another after another. So his name was Bartimaeus. He was blind. He lived in a city called Jericho, which is just outside Jerusalem. So there's Jerusalem, there's this this hill, and then on the other side of this hill is, is the town of Jericho. Now, if you grew up in church, you might already be singing the song, and the walls come tumbling down. It's this Jericho song. If you didn't, I didn't either. I had to ask before, is this really a song? She's like, oh, yeah, we totally sang that song. Okay. So yeah, so it, it's, it, it's the story from the Old Testament. So Jericho was pretty big back then, but honestly, by Jesus' time, it was just a regular city. It was about 18 miles outside Jerusalem. So picture here to about Stillwater. So where Jerusalem, Stillwater is Jericho, and it was just a normal town. But what made Jericho interesting was it was on the path that people came. If you came anywhere from the east, and you, were, you wanted to go to Jerusalem, you came through Jericho, because that's where the path, the road, took you. So there are a lot of people 
going through Jericho to get to Jerusalem, including Jesus and his disciples. What's interesting about this story, we, we find in the book of Mark, but what's interesting about this story, it is, it is the last story that we see before Jesus enters Jerusalem to die for us. So in a little over a week, Jesus will be dead. And, it, and in the Gospels, this is the last sort of miracle story that we see before he enters Jerusalem. But it's this incredible story encapsulating just a handful of verses of a guy whose life and eternity is transformed by an encounter with Jesus. So we're going to read that story today. You can find it in the book of Mark. It's Mark 46 to 52. Just a handful of verses. And again, it's right at the end of the section of all of Jesus' teachings and miracles and everything like that. And then there's this. And then from there on out, it's the beginning of the end in Jerusalem. So let's re read this story together. You can flip to it, read along on the screens, um, click to it, whatever you'd like. So the, again, this is Jesus and the disciples. Here we go. Then they came to Jericho. Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So there it is. A fairly simple story. You, if you've been around churches, you, you've probably heard this one before. It's one of these, if, if you happen to be reading the book of Mark, you could just read on through, oh, cool, Jesus healed a blind man, and just read right on past it. But we're going to camp on it a little bit today because there's some amazing decisions that Bartimaeus made in this that leveled up his life and his faith. Particularly, there are four things that I want to talk about, four things that I want to draw out of this passage that have some lessons for us as well. Um, so, so first, first the whole story. There you have Jesus showing his divinity with healing power. He showed his compassion for the people that society pushed away. And he showed his mission to bring sight to the blind, both literally and figuratively. So the story is fairly simple. Jesus and his disciples and a crowd are going by. There's a, a blind man, Bartimaeus. He's begging, and that's pretty much the only thing blind people could do. In fact, pretty much most disabled people had few options other than to beg. And remember how I said this was a common road that led to Jerusalem? So that means lots of people traveling it. So he's sitting on the road begging. 
The crowd comes by. He hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth. He must have heard something about this Jesus guy because he immediately cries out. People try to shut him up. He keeps shouting out. Jesus calls him over, and he heals him, and he could see. So it's a fairly straightforward story. So let's look at it. Like I said, four things, four things that I think we can learn from Bartimaeus. First, first, he cried out to Jesus. He cried out to Jesus. And I loved what he said. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't say, Jesus, heal me. Give me my sight. Jesus, do this for me. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, a little background on this phrase, son of David. This is a phrase from the Old Testament that by that time had been adopted as a title of Messiah. So this wasn't just like, you're from the David clan. You're from the Yang clan. You're Mom Yang. You're, no, this is like, this is actually a title of the Messiah. So he knew somehow, he knew that this Jesus was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament who would make things right, who would restore Israel, who would rebuild his people. So when he says Jesus, son of David, that is huge. That's a reference to David, King David, uh, who, who was a, he was a king, he, and his royal line, the prophets spoke that the Messiah would come out of the royal line of David. So Jesus was son of David. And then have mercy on me. I love that. No pride, no demands, no asking. The only thing he said was have mercy on me. Now what does that actually mean? I'm going to give you one of the most helpful definitions I ever heard many, many years ago. Here it is for you. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Let me say that again. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You see... We tend to focus on grace. Think about it. We tend to focus on the things we get from God. I mean, how many times have you prayed, God, thank you for not sending me to hell because I deserve it. I am a wretched person. I deserve the worst life could get and give to me. Please don't make that happen. I don't know about you, but that's not on my regular prayer list. Mine's, Lord, Lord, bring healing here. Help us with the church. Help this person. Notice that's all grace. I'm asking things from God. That's grace. But mercy isn't asking things from God. It's saying, God, I deserve the worst. Please don't give it to me. And that's what's so powerful. The humility of someone with a mercy orientation is radically different than someone with a grace orientation. Now, thanks be to God, he is a God full of grace and mercy. So that's how this, this story starts, with him shouting out, have mercy on me. And I can just imagine him, like, I wonder what he's thinking. 
what, I deserve this? I, I'm not worth even seeing. Have mercy on me. So I'd love to wonder what he was thinking. But he cried out to Jesus. And some of you today, some of you need to cry out to Jesus. Some of you need to cry to Jesus. Some of you need to shout. Some of you need to speak honestly. You need to cry out to Jesus. And maybe you need some time where you need to shift and stop asking God for stuff. And thanking him for not giving you what you really deserve. Thank God, literally, that he doesn't give us what we really deserve. Because none of us would be here. So maybe that's you. And maybe you could even cry out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Next. The next thing he did was he persisted. He kept going. Did, did you catch it? The crowds tried to shut him up. And I could just imagine this, like the big important person is walking by, and a nobody starts causing a commotion. And all the crowds are just trying to shut him up. <laughs> kind of put him back in his place. And he keeps shouting. That's amazing. He keeps crying out. I think one of the, one of the most inspiring uh, phrases that came out of last year's, the, the women's movement of last year, came out of a congressional hearing. Uh, it, it was spoken of Elizabeth Warren, and this was the Jeff Sessions uh, congressional hearing. And, and she was raising her objections to his appointment. And they tried to stop her, they tried to silence her, and she kept talking. And then one of the senators responded with this phrase, nevertheless, we told her to be quiet, but nevertheless, she persisted. And that phrase became a rallying cry last year for, for the women's equality movement and the fair treatment of women. Nevertheless, she persisted. They told her to be quiet. Nevertheless, she persisted. She kept talking. That's what I love about Bartimaeus, is nevertheless, he persisted. And I've seen it so many times in faith. Someone decides that they, they want to they start going to church again, and River Life is a great place to start going to church again. And I know a lot of you have fallen, in that last few years, you decide, okay, I want to start going to church again. And I love that this is a safe place for you and your family and your friends. And, but then all of a sudden, life gets hard. We get a couple curveballs, a couple failures, a couple sins, some busyness. That gets thrown at us, and all of a sudden, I don't see them around church as much. All of a sudden, they don't return texts. All of a sudden, God kind of gets put in the back burner. A little bit of hardship, a little bit of difficulty, and all of a sudden, God gets bumped off the bench. And God ends up on the B team down in Albuquerque. But, and I see it so often. When things get hard, people kind of give up on faith. And then they come back six months later, a year later, and try it again. 
So how is your persistence level in your faith? When life gets hard, do you give in a little bit? Do you compromise a little bit? Or do you persist? Do you keep crying out? Or when things get tough, do you kind of wimp out a little bit? And, and you put God, you don't get rid of God, just put him on the back burner for a little while. I got, I got some family stuff to take care of. Things are really busy at work these days. Oh, you know, lots of family drama. I would encourage you to persist. Let it be said of you when life gets tough. Nonetheless, they persisted. I would love that to be said of me. When life got tough, nevertheless, he persisted. And I want to be able to say that about you. Because we can certainly say it about Bartimaeus. Third, the third thing we see in the story is he responded to Jesus twice. That's what's amazing. He responded to Jesus twice. So the first thing, the first one, this is actually one of my favorite things of, of the whole passage. And it's so small, you blink, you'll miss it. You could just read right over it and not even know it's there. Okay? Um, but so so l- let, me, let me remind you of it. He said, th- so Jesus said, call him. And then, and here's what happened. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up and came. Throwing his cloak aside. Now, that phrase should cause us to stop. Because for a blind beggar, that cloak was probably his most valuable possession. Literally, that cloak, his most valuable possession. It was his jacket when it got cold. It was his umbrella when it rained. It was his cushion when he was sitting. It was his blanket when he was sleeping. That cloak literally was the most valuable thing he owned. And one call from Jesus. And he threw it aside. <laughs> and went to Jesus. Think about that. Think about the most valuable thing you own. What's the thing you just could not live without? Your most important thing. And if Jesus came up to you and said, hey, let's go that way. Would you sit and like grab your phone and throw it to the side? And follow Jesus? <laughs> Think about it. Like, th- like, that's probably the closest equivalent. The most universally amazing, awesome thing that that guy owned was his cloak. For me, that's probably my phone. No, that's my wife. Hear that, Papa? That's my wife. No. <laughs> I would never throw that aside. No. <laughs> She's smirking at me now. <laughs> But that's what he did, and that's what's amazing, and that is the power of encountering Jesus himself. That's when you encounter him personally. You don't encounter the Jesus I tell you about. You don't encounter the Jesus you hear from other people, or you think he's like from what you've heard. Nah. This is Jesus coming to you. Would you throw your cloak aside and go? So that's the first thing. He responded in a pretty amazing way. 
Now, the second thing, the second thing that he did was he responded to Jesus' question. And I love it. Jesus asked, so, what do you want? What do you want me to do? Now, you think for a blind guy coming to Jesus, this should be pretty obvious. <laughs> You're like, uh, mm, mm, maybe. <laughs> uh, I'd like a new cloak because I just threw mine away. <laughs> no. So you think it'd be pretty obvious, but what's amazing, Jesus constantly asked this question. What do you want me to do? Because he wanted Bartimaeus to say it. He wanted Bartimaeus to be honest, to put his heart out there. And he did. I want to see. Now what's amazing is the story just before this, two of his disciples came up to him, and Jesus asked the exact same question. What do you want me to do for you? Now these two disciples, they said, hey, Give us the most powerful positions in the kingdom of God. Let us be like your right-hand and left-hand men. We want the best thrones next to you. That's what they asked. <laughs> Needless to say, Jesus shut that down. But Bartimaeus? No. He said, I want to see. And I love, because what's implied in that is, Jesus, you can make me see. Think about that. You can make me see. And that's why Jesus followed up by saying, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Now, what's, what's amazing is that word healed, your faith has healed you, in Greek, that is the same word as your faith has saved you. It's the same word. When Jesus heals, he doesn't just fix neurons and cord, cortical, whatever your eye is made up of. <laughs> Clearly, I did not pass. I may pass theology, but not biology. Okay? But Jesus doesn't just do that. He saves. And so Bartimaeus was saved in this moment. He wasn't just healed. But he responded rightly to Jesus and wonderfully to Jesus. So some of you... You need to respond to Jesus. You know right now something Jesus has been putting on your heart. I don't even need to tell you. You know what it is. Jesus has been putting it on, on your heart for days, weeks, months, heck, years, and you've been ignoring him. You're like, Jesus, I'll do the other stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll go to church. I'll pray before meals. But that one, eh. I don't really want to do that one. <laughs> That's a little too hard, a little too ugly, a little too risky. Some of you need to respond to Jesus. Whether it's you say yes, whether you throw off a cloak, whether you take a risk, whether you trust him with something big, whether you stop worrying, whatever it is. Some of you need to respond to Jesus. And then lastly, he followed Jesus. I love that. Jesus kept going, and so did Bartimaeus. He followed Jesus. He was now one of the crowd that was following him to Jerusalem. So think about this. He started this story sitting on the ground. He ended the story 
following Jesus along the road. So which of those best describes you? Are you sitting on the ground? Or are you following Jesus along the road? Are you just here sitting in church? Or are you following Jesus in church? Are you just standing still and sitting there? Or are you moving, taking one step of faith and another step of faith? Are you walking along the road with Jesus? Because listen, our world doesn't need more Christians. Our world needs more Jesus followers. We got plenty of Christians. And sadly, we got plenty of them who aren't given Christians a great name and aren't given Christ a great name. We don't need more, more people being Christian. We need more people following Jesus. Our churches, and yeah, even River Life. But our churches are filled with people sitting on the ground in their faith, kind of coasting. We need people walking the road, taking the steps, walking up the hills, encouraging people around them, receiving encouragement from the people around them, walking the road following Jesus. That's what our country needs right now. We need a whole lot more people who look a whole lot more like Jesus. Not a whole lot more people who look like the church. Even a place like River Life that I think is doing it pretty well most of the time. We need people who are Jesus followers. So some of you, you need to stop just being a Christian. And follow Jesus. Take the steps. Take the risks. Move forward and respond. So I return to the question I started with. What does leveling up in your faith look like? What's your next step that you need to take? See, I don't know what your next step is, but I know you have one. I know you have one. Because our God is a God of next steps. And our Jesus is a Jesus of sanctifying, progressively moving us forward. So what is your next step in your faith? That's the question. What is something you can do today? What's something you you can do, you can start, you can begin even before you go to bed tonight? Do you need to cry out to Jesus? Do you need to respond to him? Do you need to persist? Do you need to, do you need to keep going? Or do you need to follow and get your life and your words in line with Jesus? So I encourage you, find a next step. We serve a God of next steps. And he is there in the first step and the second step and the third step all the way through. Because he wants those steps for you. He wants those steps for river life. So level up your faith 
even starting today. Join me in prayer. God, we confess. I stand before you as a representative of River Life Church, and I, I confess on behalf of all of us, we like the comfortable. God, I confess I like the comfortable. But you are a God who continually compels us to bigger and greater things. And everything in us resists that. Lord, so I pray against our humanness, our fleshly side. God, and I pray to the spiritual side in, excuse me, in every believer here. God, that you can ignite that fire, Lord, so we can take that first step of faith because we trust you. We don't trust the step, but we trust you. God, and for, for those who even don't have that trust, give us that gift of faith in you. Lord, so speak to every person here, Lord, that, that is following you and that is curious about you and pursuing you. Give them a next step, a next step where they can become more like Christ, more loving, more, more forgiving, more peace-filled, patient, more kind, so that River Life becomes a church month by month that becomes more like your glorified church of Jesus Christ. So help us. Help us, God. We can't do it. We can't do it with anything inside us, but you can. And we are grateful. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.